Wait, Stu, I gotta... I mean, today, I know you asked, I ask you every day, but what was your favorite part of today's podcast? Uh, the third part. Oh, yeah. Really good. The third part. I don't, I it depends don't. on how you divide the show up. Right. But I divided it up into three parts. Right. The third part was my... Well, so actually, like, I divided it into 41 parts, and the third right. part is my favorite. Okay. But I don't, I'm not going to tell you. Maybe the first part's two and a half Today's hours. show, we have lots of breaking news. Lots of breaking news. We'll give you an update on... Uh, an investigative story that took hundreds of man hours, uh, at least a hundred man hours to uh, produce and then was recalled at the very last moment before I went on air today. Uh, but we have another breaking story about Nancy Pelosi's security detail chief uh, apparently perjured himself. And now we have the evidence in an exclusive Blaze Media story you can find on Blaze TV. The great one, Mark Levin, joins us. We talk a lot about well, what just happened in the house? And if it's a good thing or a bad thing. He's got an opinion that uh, Mark Levin, he does. All this and so much more on today's podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Welcome to the Glenn Beck program. So there's another story. Can somebody check and see if this is up on the blaze yet? Is it up on the Because I got another breaking news. I don't know if, if we're supposed to share this one yet. Or Is it up? Do you know? Can I talk about this? <laughs> you can't talk about any of the stories you want to talk about. Okay, That's good. the rule right. of the day. Okay. It's kind of right. like a parlor trick to see if you can yeah. do a show without talking about any news. Well, Bla- <laughs> Blaze Media has... Um, We've we've got some things in our future, and um, and today is a good example of what's hopefully uh, coming in a big way. Um, it is time to make the media, the the so-called mainstream media, uh, it is time for us to have them react to us. Why are we keep? Why do we keep act, reacting to a group of people who are obviously lying? Everybody in the country, except for like 14%, know that they're lying. They don't trust them. So why would we watch them and then, uh, you know, react to them when nobody else is watching them? It's time to set the agenda ourselves. And uh, so we have gotten together with Steve Baker. He is uh, an investigative journalist, and he has done months of work. This is so expensive. He's done months of work. Uh, and he has just released a story on Blaze Media, uh, theblaze.com. Did Pelosi's security chief perjure himself in Oathkeeper's trial? Now, this is something that we have known was coming for a while, those of us who work at Blaze Media, some of us. Um, but the story is more damning when you read it than even... Uh, I felt it was when some of the details were sketched out for me. Let me give you the narrative here. To prove that the Oath Keepers were seditionists intent on overthrowing the U.S. government and preventing the execution of the laws, federal prosecutors claim that while inside the Capitol, members of the group were involved in a contentious interaction with law enforcement. The incident supposedly took place in an unmistakable public area, the top of the stairs next to the Capitol Rotunda, also known as the small or mini rotunda 
or Speaker's Lobby. Yet, despite the fact that there are at least 1,700 cameras in and around the building and grounds and 41,000 hours of footage, many of which directly covered this well-traveled area, no direct video evidence of the alleged confrontation was ever presented to the jury. That got our investigative reporter Steve Baker going, hmm. Much of the video footage has been kept from the public defenders, no less than the public themselves. So the, the people defending these guys couldn't even get access and say, let's see this. At trial, this key piece of evidence purportedly proving the seditious intent of the Oath Keepers was based on accounts of two law enforcement officers. Again, this is breaking news, investigative story. You can find it at theblaze.com. U.S. Capitol Police Special Agent David Lazarus, a member of the Speaker Nancy Pelosi's security detail, testified that he passed by USCP officer Harry Dunn engaging with four Oath Keepers three or four times while he was evacuating staffers for Pelosi who were trapped in a locked office in her chambers. Lazarus went on to explain that he observed Dunn arguing with rioters. And during that exchange, he eventually found an opening through the rioters where he was able to rescue 10 or uh, 11 or 12 of Pelosi staffers. During his sworn testimony under oath, Lazarus went into great detail about the problems he had getting through the crowd of rioters gathered at the top of the stairwell where Dunn was having what became a much publicized interchange with the Oath Keepers. Lazarus explained that one rioter asked, who are you? Who are you? And then, according to the trial transcript, he testified. And, you know, one attempted to, I had my lanyard on my, with my ID on it. And one, they were videotaping and one attempted to pull my, at my ID. It was kind of like they just grabbed it. and I grabbed it back and, and looked and made sure it was still there. And then I saw the opening. So then I just kind of like walked fast to get uh, into the office and check on the staff again. That's a quote from the trial transcript. Lazarus detailed description of what took place, what Lazarus described as very antagonistic in the three or four times that he passed by. This was a dramatic moment in the trial. Quote, Every time I interacted or came by, and yes, it was antagonistic. This is what he said under direct questioning by the assistant of the United States attorney, uh, Alexandria Hughes. Lazarus was even shown a short cell phone video clip of the four Oath Keepers standing in front of Dunn. Quote, and are these the individuals you observed, the antagonistic conversation? Yes. At any point in these three or four interactions in this space, did you observe any sort, anything but an antagonistic conversation? That's correct. Well, the problem Blaze Media and Scott Baker has found um, is that 
none of that, not Scott Baker, I'm sorry, Steve Baker, none of that actually happened. What? This is now according to direct video evidence that the jury was never allowed to see. Three Blaze Media contributors, including this writer and the House Oversight Committee staffer, recently examined U.S. Capitol CCTV video, which appears to prove conclusively that Special Agent Lazarus was not in that part of the Capitol at the time he claimed, but was in fact in the lower tunnels that led to the Senate office building escorting senators away from the Capitol. By analyzing the footage from multiple CCTV cameras and comparing, and I know what you're thinking if you're thinking, oh, well, he was, they just got the time wrong. It happened. Just keep listening. Comparing the timelines associated with Officer Dunn's actual interaction on camera with the Oath Keepers, it is clear that Lazarus did not arrive at the top of the staircase until three and a half minutes after the last of the Oath Keepers had left the area and were exiting the Capitol building. Got that? So the guy who was being antagonized, that officer, he didn't arrive at the staircase until the Oath Keepers were already out. And the Nancy Pelosi staffer, claimed he saw him with the Oath Keepers at the top of the stairs three or four times and had to get past them. Lazarus returned to that area in the Capitol occurred just after 3.05 p.m. after tactical units from the ATF and D.C. Metro Police had completely cleared the top of that staircase, the Speaker's lobby and the Speaker's offices of all protests. So him doing this heroic save wasn't happening. In the absence of video evidence at the trial, Lazarus' testimony served as verification by a trustworthy law enforcement official of Dunn's account to the jury of his interaction with the Oath Keepers. But even without consulting the new video evidence, both men are on record offering conflicting accounts of the circumstance in which they supposedly encountered each other at the top of the rotunda staircase. Lazarus claimed he saw Dunn involved in a conflict with the Oath Keepers as Lazarus came up the stairs. Dunn claims the opposite, that he saw Lazarus involved in a conflict as Dunn came up the stairs. Blaze Media acquired an advanced copy of Dunn's forthcoming book, Standing My Ground, a Capitol Police officer's fight for accountability and good trouble after January 6th. It's scheduled for release on October 24th. On pages 79 and 80, Dunn describes his first encounter with the, uh, of the day with Lazarus. Quote, I took off, running up a winding spiral staircase toward the speaker's lobby. Now, as I was on the same floor as the rotunda, as soon as I had made it to the landing, I saw Special Agent David Lazarus. He was being hassled by some rioters. Now, apparently neither Dunn's ghostwriter nor his editor checked the Oath Keeper's trial transcript in which Lazarus claims to recount the same moment in time as this. How was your evacuation efforts? How did you interact with the space? Where were you going in relation to what you were looking at now? 
So I came up from the first level and I came up to the stairs behind Dunn. As I was coming up, I could see Dunn above me as he was coming up the stairs. And I look and I see him standing there and this crowd is like, like right in front of him. So Dunn claims to have been the first to see to have first seen Lazarus already at the top of the staircase being hassled by rioters. Lazarus testified that Dunn was above me already at the top of the staircase when he arrived. Which is it, gentlemen? Which one of you has forgotten which story you were supposed to tell? Capital CCTV now reveals that Dunn reached the top of the staircase landing at exactly 2.44 p.m. Dunn could not have seen Lazarus there, as Lazarus clearly identified on video now, in the tunnels near the Senate office buildings at the same time. Lazarus could not have seen Dunn interacting with the Oath Keepers three or four times, quote-unquote, in a, quote, very antagonistic encounter, end quote. Because Lazarus did not arrive arrive at that staircase until 2.56 p.m. The last Oath Keeper left at 2.53. Again, this is at least three minutes after the Oath Keepers had departed. In Lazarus' own trial testimony... He claimed that he was not president, uh, present when video footage shows Dunn was actually at the top of the stairs. This important element of Lazarus' testimony was not only missed by all eight of the Oath Keepers' defense lawyers, but also by the journalists reporting on the trial from the first floor media room in the courthouse. Lazarus truthfully testified that he had been escorting U.S. senators through the tunnels to the Senate office buildings. So as you're going into the tunnels, are you with the United States senators at this time? Lazarus, yes. We evacuate the entire Senate down the back stair into the tunnels, and the tunnels go across Constitutional Avenue and back up to the Senate buildings, where we had an area that was specifically set up to secure the Senate. Did you remain at this location? No. Once we started moving through the tunnels, I heard shots fired, shots fired. And so once I heard the shots were fired, I saw the senators were doing okay. We had enough agents with them to get them to safety. So I turned around and I started going back upwards where I heard the shots being fired. Well, the report of shots fired was heard on the main Ops 1 radio channel at 244. This was in response to a single shot of Michael Byrd firing that killed protester Ashley Babbitt. This is what Lazarus heard, according to the radio. There are shots fired in the House floor. I need units to respond. He then testified under oath, verified by Capital CCTV, that he was moving through the tunnels when he heard the shots fired at 1443 hours, which was 243. Dunn reached the top of the stairs adjacent to the Capitol Rotunda at 2.44. Oath Keepers entered that same area only 30 seconds later. Those times are also verified by Capitol CCTV time codes. Somebody went to jail on false testimony. Somebody knew this because it was very easy to verify. And somebody in the DOJ 
decided that that wasn't worth, that wasn't the story they wanted to tell. Who told Nancy Pelosi's strongman this story? Who told Lazarus? Who told Dunn? And what does this mean for people who are sitting and rotting in jail under false testimony? You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. My friend, Mark Levin. How are you, sir? I mean, look, I'm great. (laughs) What is your take on what happened yesterday in the House? Well, I've been very outspoken about this. I know many people want to get behind Matt Gates. I am not one of them. So I guess I'm a neocon rhino sellout. But that said... (laughs) um, Don't you hate this? Don't you I, hate I this? Put it on my business card. Oh. I don't have one, of course. We uh, look. You and I have spent decades fighting these wars. This is one of the dumbest ass wars I've ever seen. Why? You got guys who claim to be conservatives. One of them, Nancy Mace, who votes against McCarthy because he wouldn't put an abortion bill on the floor. He wouldn't put a gun control bill on the floor. She's a complete head kiss. You got, got another guy, Andy Biggs. President of the state Senate in Arizona who blocked convention of states. He runs for Congress. He wins. A woman replaces him. And then Arizona becomes one of 20 states passing a resolution for convention of states. That's where my head is, convention of states. Then you got another guy, this guy from Tennessee that nobody ever heard of before. Why is he mad? He says because McCarthy criticized his religion when he spoke to him. By the way, I'm not a special pleader for McCarthy, and I'm not a special pleader for Gates. I call him as I see him, as do you. And so he says what he says. It doesn't make sense. You know why he voted against McCarthy? Because he chaired a subcommittee, and he said he worked really hard on this UFO issue, and he wanted to chair this committee on the UFOs, and Comer told him he's not in line to him. And he got very angry. That's why he votes against McCarthy. Then we have Gates who goes to the floor of the House, and I'm listening to him very, very carefully. This is very important. And he says, we didn't have regular order. He promised us 12 bills. I had Tom Massey on the show, who's a longtime libertarian conservative. Mm-hmm. He's the best of the best. I He's love the gold him. standard. Love him. He's, he said, that's not what happened. You got to get these bills out of committee. The Democrats were larding up these things. It was the conservatives who killed them in committee. We couldn't get these bills to the floor. It had nothing to do with violating a promise or anything else. And he said on my show, you can't have it both ways. Regular order where whatever comes out of a committee goes to the floor. And at the same time, we need to cut the budget. He said the Democrats were playing us. Some of the eight and others voted against it to kill it in committee so it couldn't get to the floor. So I'm listening to him, and I said, well, then, what's this 12-bill stuff that Gates, he he said, Gates knows this. I said, okay. Uh, Then I listened myself to Gates say, we have $33 trillion debt. And I said on the air, I don't remember Gates speaking up against all this COVID spending. And Massey Mm -hmm. said he never did, not once. I said, well, that was like $3 trillion right there. They wanted to spend $6 trillion. Almost none of it went to quote-unquote COVID or the pandemic. It went to the teachers' unions and everything else. I am telling you that if you're going to blow up the house, blow it up for the right reasons. 
I worked in the Reagan administration. We shut the government down eight times. We knew exactly why we were shutting it down. He wanted his MX missile system. They wouldn't give it to him. He wanted those medium-range nuclear weapons in, uh, in Europe to defeat the Soviets, which is what happened. And he shut it until he got it. And he fought over water projects and everything. Very specific. This is, we have a $33 trillion de- debt, so let's burn down Washington. Okay, great. So what are they going to do now? That was my the question. Democrats control the budget now. Yeah, they control I, it. I I would love to see the. I you know, I'm not a fan of McCarthy. However, what is your plan now? You don't run away from something. You run toward something. They weren't running toward anything. Who are they oh, running yeah. to? Yeah. Who's going to take it? They ran towards the squad and Hakeem Jeffries. Behind the scenes, they were working with them while complaining that McCarthy's working with the Democrats. I don't want anyone working with them for anything. 15% of the Democrats in the House are Marxists. They're outspoken, quote-unquote, Democratic Socialists. Why the hell are you working with the Progressive Caucus and going to whatever, her Jamala, whatever, going, <laughs> trying to coordinate with her? Why, why are you going to AOC like you have a real love lust for the, for the woman? It's constant. And then you're raising money on it, and that's righteous. He's doing that for the people. He's sending out emails to put together lists to run for governor. Well, at least I'm not paid for by the special end. Hey, bro, you have a 20-point Republican preference. You represent the Republican pan- the, uh, panhandle of Florida. And those are wonderful patriots. They're never going to vote for a Democrat. Then you got this guy, Rosendale, from Montana, who ran for the Senate and lost last time and wants to run again. And he says he prayed for a very small Republican majority in the House so he and the others would have this control. Well, that's constitutional. So eight of you could run the House of Representatives with the Democrats? Let me tell you something. He made sure he won his election, but he didn't want enough people to come in where we had a big majority. You know, there's a lot of patriotic conservatives that lost in that midterm election. That many of us voted for, like here in Northern Virginia. We had a great guy running. He lost by 1% in a purple, or actually more blue district. Loudoun County, Virginia, for God's sakes. And am I glad he lost? So Rosendale has more power? This guy's from Montana. He has nothing to do with me. And so you've got all just so many weird things going on. And people need to scratch their heads and ask this. Is Chip Roy a rhino? Is Mm -mm. Byron Donalds a rhino? Mm -mm. Is Jim George? Is every other member of the Freedom Caucus who voted against these guys? Are they rhinos too? No. There's a difference between anarchy and constitutional conservatism. Read your constitution, folks. There's no anarchy in there. There's no mobocracy. They oppose the mobocracy. They oppose the powerful central government. You know this. They set up a complex governing system. Our only hope right now is the House of Representatives with a tiny majority. The Senate Republicans have sold us out. And here's the bottom line. That last bill that they proposed was negotiated by Chip Roy and Byron Donalds with Ted Cruz and other conservative Republicans in the Senate. The plan was that this would pass. The greatest cut in a short-term CR 
probably in American history, certainly in our lifetimes, 30% protecting the Defense Department, the Border Patrol, and veterans. That was it. So that would affect the FBI. It would affect the Department of Justice. It would affect all this stuff. And it was negotiated by the conservatives, get it to the Senate, so we have some leverage over Mitch McConnell, who's a real SOB, that guy, selling us out every time. Five of them killed it. They said, no, shut the government down. They said, shut it down. This is better. We don't know what we'll get if we shut it down. Do this. And we have the support. We negotiated with the rhinos and everything else. They're with us. Let's do it. And they killed it. That's why I, I've, I've had it with these people. And people shouldn't just follow them. Wow, they were really going to do it. They're doing nothing. Zero. And but I'll tell you one other thing. You would, I would not negotiate with Hakeem Jeffries and these Democrat Marxists and the squad and all the rest of them if you put a gun to my head. These people are destroying our country. At every turn, they are the enemy, not adversaries. They are the enemy. And you're cutting deals with them. You're throwing in your vote with them. And then you're saying you're the true believer. You're cutting deals with the Democrat majority. And now we're going to have a bigger bloated budget. The border is going to remain open because part of that bill that they opposed had the strictest restrictions on the border ever passed by the House of Representatives. I read it. It's unbelievable. Would it pass the Senate? Well, they don't control the Senate. But it would have given our conservatives in the Senate something to negotiate with. Look at the House. Look what they passed, Mr. McConnell. We've got to do something about these things. Now they have nothing. Zero. And so I would ask people who are defending and promoting these people, do you know who they are? How many of you know the guy from Tennessee? How many of you know the guy from Montana? How many of you really know about Nancy Mays, who's a complete head case out of South Carolina? So this is my problem, uh, that we had good momentum going in. Forget about personalities, about, about McCarthy and Scully. I don't care. We had good momentum going in, and now we're stuck. Everything, everything is frozen. Everything. And we're attacking the most conservative body we have. If it's not conservative enough, let's fix it. The Senate's gone. The presidency's gone. The courts are gone. We have a five-vote majority in the House who are doing more with that five-vote majority than anybody else, and we just crippled it. What the hell are we doing? That's my take, Len. So, Mark, first, let let me ask you, do you see a plan? Is there a plan? Is there something that we're hoping for at this point? No, I'd love to see one. I mean, when, when Gates is asked who would he accept, he starts naming liberal members of the House. I'm going, holy crap. Um, I don't know what the plan is. Uh, I don't even know who would want to be Speaker at this point. Forget about uh, McCarthy and so forth. Uh, thinking, okay, you're still going to have these eight. And the way this works is, from a propaganda and demagoguery point of view, these guys are going to claim victory no matter what happens. So in other words, let's say they actually pick, let's say a Jim Jordan, who I love, who I think is terrific. Yes. And they're going to say, see, if it wasn't for us, you wouldn't have Jim Jordan. 
That's they, They've got it all planned out. And the fact of the matter is one of the biggest supporters of the previous speaker was Jim Jordan. And he even gave a speech on the floor. Why? I asked him. He said, because he let us do what we needed to do. He never interfered. We would tell him what we need. He'd say, if you need a subpoena, whatever you need, I'll take care of it and so forth and so on. The Rules Committee, there were more conservatives on the Rules Committee in the history of the House of Representatives. Uh, they had Tom Massey on there, Byron Donald's on there, and another conservative, oh, Chip Roy, who had the power to block anything and to promote anything. And so uh, he said uh, he's been in the House for, for a while now. He said he came into the same time as McCarthy did. And he said it's never been more open, period. And he said it's so open that everybody with a grievance was thinking about voting against them. So that's how you get the Nancy Maces in there and the Rosendales and these other people in there. And, uh, and that's why I think Chip Roy's biggest problem was sometimes we have to accept victory. When we have a 30% cut and you border security bill, which is the strongest con- uh, the House has ever passed, this is, a, this, is, this is a 30-day bill. Why the hell wouldn't we just pass it? I said, it beats me. That's why I'm not a politician. I can't figure you guys out, to be perfectly honest with you. But, uh, so. You know, you you said, um, Mark, that the Democratic Party, I think you said 16% are are named Marxists. They they are fine with being Democratic, Socialist, or Marxist. That's correct. How did this happen? Well, here's the truth. The fact is, and that's the point of the book. You're very good. That's a good segue there. Thank I, you. I just Thank you. Say, yeah, well, the, uh, everything I know, I learned from Glenn. Man, he is <laughs> right. out. you are you are top shelf, baby. All right. uh, look, here's the bottom line with this book. The book explains that the Democrat Party has never accepted America's founding. It has never accepted its principles. We wouldn't have had a civil war but for the Democrat Party. The vast majority of Americans not only didn't own slaves, they never met slaves. Even in the South, a tiny percentage, tiny, big enough, don't get me wrong, but, a, but, but not the vast majority of the Correct. people in the South. They were too poor to own slaves. Slavery was an abomination. And who perpetuated it? The Democrat Party. Who was prepared to destroy the country to defend it? The Democrat Party, the party of the Confederacy. Look, we don't have enough time. The book's 400 pages long, but I'll tell you this. I decided to take on their icons, FDR, uh, Good for you. the Kennedy family, mm. Lyndon Johnson. People are going to learn things about these people they couldn't possibly have known because the Democrat Party writes our history, or I should say rewrites our history. So all the things the Democrat Party today condemns, and we condemn, back in our history, is their history. I mean, they did this to the country, and they projected onto the Republican Party, and I talk about that as being the biggest con that's ever been perpetrated against the American people. And I explain that they supported eugenics for racial reasons. When you want a more perfect society, and you're part of this progressive era, progressive movement, what I call American Marxists, early Marxists. Yeah. If you need a more perfect society, you need a more perfect citizenry. And so they backed eugenics aggressively. And, and you look at Woodrow Wilson. This was a sick man. <laughs> I mean, people, yeah, people who were applying to the federal bureaucracy mm-hmm. for jobs, mm-hmm. 
the first time they put in place that you had to provide a photograph. So blacks wouldn't get jobs. Yeah. You bounce around a little bit. NPR. The best of the Glenn Beck program. Steve Baker has been on the uh, program a few times, uh, and uh, he is a um, an investigative reporter that has been doing some have been doing some work, uh, and it's now exposed on theblaze.com. He has been working on the January sixth puzzle for a while now, and his efforts have been frustrated. Uh, over and over again by the politics in Washington when he's just trying to find the truth. The story that has just been released this morning, did Pelosi's security chief perjure himself in the Oath Keepers trial, has wide, wide consequences. Welcome, Steve. How are you? Glenn, I am living proof that a man can live on coffee alone. (laughs) You started this a year ago today. It was one year ago yesterday, yesterday, October 3rd, during the Oath Keepers trial, was the first scent that there was something wrong. Something happened in the trial first thing that morning when the prosecuting, the lead prosecuting attorney, Jeff, Jeffrey Nessler, uh, assistant U.S. attorney, approached the lectern and the bench and said to Judge Ameda, we have a problem. He said, we have a, a rogue attorney that is about to release some FBI 302s. These are interviews of one of the characters in this story that we released this morning. And that if he does that, this is going. these are sealed documents that are not publicly available, and we can't have that. And Judge Maida did something that I had never seen before, and I think I don't know that any of the media uh, in the media room where I was sitting had ever seen this before. He actually directed the media pool to put out a tweet and threaten this particular attorney and let him know that if he released that those sealed documents, he would have him held in contempt of court. And right then I went, what are in those documents? So what was in those documents? They're still sealed, but I will tell you that the documents themselves were the actual FBI interviews of one of these Capitol Police officers and the primary problem that the government has with those documents is that the testimony was changed. His testimony about his interaction with the Oath Keepers, which in the first testimony he revealed to be a positive interaction, that the Oath Keepers lined up between him and the more agitated protesters and assisted him in keeping them off of him mm-hmm. and helping him de-escalate. That was in May of 21, that interview. In August of 21, this officer was brought back in, and the testimony was changed into an aggravated, contentious uh, event with the Oath Keepers, and as well as the creation of a second event to explain the first FBI interview that never happened. So it is it is amazing to me, reading your story, it is so well laid out, Um However, what makes this different, it's not he said, she said, or he said, he said, no. uh, because you had uh, permission to go into the 14,000 hours uh, of videotape. You knew what you were looking for. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And in the story, you knew what time it even happened because the testimony was gunshots, yeah. uh, you know, gunfire. Right. And so that marked it at a certain time when they 
they shot an innocent. So tell me about what you found, what the story was in the, the testimony, and then what you found on the tape. Well, the story in the testimony from special agent, now this is Capitol Police Special Agent David Lazarus, is that when he heard the gunshots at 243-244, um, broadcasted over the radio that shots had been fired, that he was down in the tunnels escorting senators towards the uh, Rayburn building to the other Senate uh, right. office buildings. And that's quite a, quite a long distance away from the House chamber where allegedly these shots were fired. He said at that moment at 244, he began turning around and heading back. Well, when we because we knew what to look for, we immediately went there and we started working our way backwards and we found him in the tunnels at that time. The problem with it is that when he emerged from the Senate building tunnels in the subway system below the Capitol, and by the way, Glenn, these are videos that were never released to the defense attorneys this is- in this trial. This, if, if we were living in normal times, the people that had been convicted with any of the testimony in, 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 revolving around these guys, yeah. they would be released. Any other time in American history, they would be released because this is perjury. And somebody set this up. Somebody. And we're working on that trail as mm-hmm. well. Good. But going back to Lazarus, so he emerges and comes back into camera frame on the Capitol TVs with absolute proof of the exact time down to the second of when he emerged back into camera. He even passes under an analog clock in the subway at exactly this moment, and it's at 2.48 p.m. when he finally reaches the other side of the tunnels from the Senate office buildings. And when that happens, the Oath Keeper Officer Dunn encounter is almost already over by then. He's nowhere near it, and he still has a long way to go. And then we were able to triangulate because, you know, he will go out of camera frame for a while. Then he'll enter camera frame again from another camera. Right. And then he's down another hall, and then he enters another hallway. And then he shows up on the Senate side. And then by the time he reaches the bottom of the stairs that lead up to uh, the rotunda, and it's in a little area that variously called the mini rotunda or the speaker's lobby. Mm-hmm. When he reaches the bottom of those stairs, it's now 2.56.45 p.m., and the Oath Keepers are long gone. Okay, so now let me let me give you the exact verbiage from the testimony in the court case. Lazarus, the guy you've just been talking about, explained that one rioter asked, who are you? Who are you? Then, according to the trial transcript, he testified. And, you know, one attempted to, uh, I mean, I had my lanyard on with my ID on it. And one, uh, they were videotaping and one attempted to pull at my ID. And I was kind of like grabbed it back and and looked to make sure it was still there. And then I saw an opening. So so there was just kind of like I walked fast to get into the office and check on the staff again. He then detailed description of what took place, what Lazarus described as a very antagonistic in three or four times that he passed by these Oath Keepers. Every time I interacted or came by, yes, it was very antagonistic. He said this under oath. Um, When he was then shown in court uh, a, a video clip of four Oath Keepers standing in front of Dunn, uh, Lazarus was asked, are these the individuals you observed? 
Yes. Yes. At any point in these three or four interactions in this space, did you observe any sort of anything but antagonistic conversation? No, that's correct. Here's the problem. They were already out of the building. At the time we know him now on camera, we have the videotape. Mm-hmm. The, the Oath Keepers have been gone for almost 10 minutes. It was it was not quite ten minutes. It was, but when you when you're in the Capitol uh, video room viewing this, we can yeah. we can put multiple cameras up on the screen at the same time, and then we hit one button, and it syncs all of those cameras oh my to gosh. the exact timeline. So we're able to watch Lazarus moving through the building in one quadrant of the screen, and then we can watch when the Oath Keepers leave. So as the Oath Keepers leave, and they're walking back out through the rotunda, about to exit through the Columbus doors on the east side, it wasn't until that moment that finally Lazarus reaches that area where in great detail in the trial, and we have the trial transcripts, obviously, in great detail, he describes what he saw, and it just did not happen. So... Uh, this was a, an important part of the trial, right? It was a huge part of the trial because the one thing that the government uh, uh, was absolutely intent upon doing was not allowing anything that could be exculpatory or anything that painted the Oath Keepers in a positive light. And this wasn't the only positive interaction that Oath Keepers had with law enforcement that day. Right. You've interviewed uh, Lieutenant Tarek Johnson. Yes. Lieutenant Tarek Johnson used two Oath Keepers, re- literally recruited them to help rescue another 16 officers right. out of a dangerous situation. Right. That so, was never allowed in the trial. So, and I, you know, I learned something from the article. Let me see if I can find it here. I, I had no idea... Uh, Oath Keepers, seditious, blah, blah, blah. Federal prosecutors claim while they were inside the Capitol, members of the group were involved in contentious uh, interaction. Uh, I don't know where it is now. But you you talk about the Oath Keepers, how they've never, they've never had here. 35,000 dues-paying members had more than a decade's worth of spotless record providing disaster relief and security during riots and other large events. They had never once been accused or charged with a crime in thousands of operations. I had no idea. One of the things that the government could not do in that trial is they could not counter that little piece of information. And, of course, it didn't matter in front of a D.C. jury. I mean, the D.C. jury, it was a fait accompli before day one in terms of what the outcome of that trial was going to be. But one of the things that the defense did successfully present is the fact that in years and years of disaster relief operations, security details, and all kinds of other times when they actually went and were recruited and hired by minority businesses like in Ferguson, mm-hmm. uh, like in uh, uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and those riots, where they were recruited by minority businesses to come help us protect our businesses, we were, or the, the defense was rather able to show some of those videos. But the one thing that the government could not prove was that at any time since 2009, when the Oath Keepers were founded, that there had ever been a single time where an Oath Keeper had committed violence in any of those operations, or had ever committed a crime. Or any charges had ever been filed. And when you think the Oath Keepers, you think, oh, they're just really bad. Isn't that remarkable how that has has been portrayed and carried by the press? Okay, so there's obviously some sort of conspiracy here because <laughs> these guys 
they don't they're they're both saying the same story but it seems to switch where one is saying no i saw him at the top of the stairs and the other guy saying no i saw him at the top of the stairs they couldn't even get their story right yeah it's inexplicable that they the editor of harry dunn's forthcoming book did not check the trial transcripts because when lazarus david lazarus special agent nancy pelosi's head of security tells his version of events, he says that when he runs to the top of the stairs, that he sees this large imposing figure, because Dunn is 6'7", 300 Mm -hmm. pounds, plus all the gear he had on. And he sees this large imposing uh, imposing figure in a contentious uh, moment with these Oath Keepers that were giving him the business. All Mm -hmm. right? And that's his testimony. In Dunn's book, he explains that when he ran to the top of that stairs and reached that stairwell landing at the top, that Lazarus was already there and he was being uh, confronted by protesters. Okay, so the questions that we need to ask and what this actually means, I'm afraid, Stu and I were talking about it this morning, that um, in any other time, any other time in American history, this case would be thrown out now. They would they would uh, file a charge. They got to throw this case out uh, and it would be done and people would care. I'm not sure people care. I'm not sure people. I mean, that that's where our justice system is. It only moves because somebody says something, somebody, the, the American people just won't take it. What is next in this? And I know you talk to people in Congress, but is this going to move Anything in D.C.? I can tell you that not only working with Weaponization Committee investigators on this story, as well as the high-ranking staffers, and I can't get into Mm -hmm. specific on-the-record details, that there will be talks about hearings, and we know what hearings result in (laughs) far too often, but uh, there has to be something next because – Glenn, this is this is literally an existential threat to our republic. What is taking place in our courts right this now? This is in our DC. this is our government not getting it wrong. No, this is our government setting American citizens up, withholding evidence that's exculpatory, um, sentencing them to long sentences, mm-hmm. and. Apparently, several people are involved in this. This is re- this is as bad as it gets. Even in one of the specific Oath Keepers cases during his sentencing hearing, this was the Oath Keeper, Ken Harrelson, who you can see in video holding the crowd back from Officer Dunn. I mean, he's literally got his hands extended and he's holding the back, holding them back as they were agitating Protecting. and trying to get it done. Right. And there's four Oath Keepers lined up. With their backs turned to Dunn, he's at the top of the stairwell holding an M4 rifle, and and these guys are holding them back. And in his case, particularly, Judge Maida in his sentencing hearing actually said these words. He said, Mr. Harrelson, I do not believe that you're the man that the government has made you out to be. If I could speak to Maida right now, Judge Maida, I would tell him, now we know that he is not the man who the government made him out to be. You, you need to send him home. Have you talked to their attorneys yet, the Oath Keepers I talk attorneys? to them every day. 
And now that this is out and you're able to prove this, are they going to move? Uh, they're obviously they're in transition from their trial representation to their different uh, legal teams that are going to be representing right. them in appeal. But these guys are are uh, hot. They're hot. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and of course, they you know, they 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 all know how this was set up. And this is where the next part of this story is going, is that, look, we we know we know that there was the equivalent of a star chamber set up mm-hmm. and said, how are we going to get these guys? And we see the process and the pattern of events of how they led to that, as well as here, absolute proof of the creation and manipulation of testimony and of something that never happened and presented in that trial. This story is a year's worth of a man's life. You must read it by Steve Baker. Did Pelosi security chief perjure himself in the Oath Keepers trial? It is only part one of a series that Steve is working on, and you'll find it from Blaze Media at theblaze.com. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details.